Right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the London Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? You had a good week? Yeah, I'm good, man. As you've just noticed, I'm drinking a LucasAid Sport. Um, <laughs> well, it's just got... Like all the pros do. Well, I was going to say, because basically I got home this mo- I got home tonight and then there was this delivery package on our doorstep. And we're like, what? No one's ordered delivery, and it was just um, it, was, it seems to be some sort of care package. So it had like, like medicine, it had like strepsils, throat okay. sweets. Always had a Lucasade sport. So someone had ordered something <laughs> for someone who's ill, but it was at our doorsteps. We we couldn't see like no one's taken or anything. So and that's the thing I was going to say is that I, I love a Lucasade sport, but I prefer it just as a normal drink rather than after playing football. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think like it tastes better just like to sip on or like. I used to love a Lucasade sport after five aside, and the five aside that I used to play at had a vending machine which is obviously sponsored by LucasAid because they had all the flavors that you couldn't get in the shops oh, nice. so every week I was getting LucasAid sport Brazilian guava flavor unreal how are you man you good to be playing five sides yeah although five sides kind of ground to a halt recently last week was our last game we lost 22-0 a couple of weeks ago that was Ooh. pretty bad um <laughs> basically um <laughs> we're one of the worst teams in the league anyway so we usually get beat but we usually have you know a group of like seven players two substitutes it means you can kind of refresh the squad. Basically, this particular week, uh, we were playing against the best team in the league. A bunch of people bottled it, basically. I'm not going to name names if any of the boys are listening, but there were a few bottlers in that group who didn't turn up. Only five of us turned up and not the best players. And we only had four at one point. And basically, one of the boys said, all right, I've been at a work do this afternoon. So I've had a couple of beers, but I will come. Okay, a couple of beers, maybe, but he'd also been on the spirits. He was at, He was so pissed. <laughs> it was like... Sounds like B-side Benfica all over again. <laughs> I know, literally, we had four players, four worst players and one drunk guy on our team and we got battered 22 now. So yeah, if anyone's wondering how the five sides going, that's pretty much um, pretty much how it's going. Winter break now though, so a few weeks off for Christmas. I think everyone's pleased, <laughs> pleased about that. Well, speaking of people turning up and not doing their job very well, let's talk about the Champions League draw, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to just give a glimpse behind the curtain. Barney just told me to do that link and didn't want to take credit for it. <laughs> the, most te- the most tenuous link we've ever done and probably one of the worst intros. I'll move on quickly, but uh, you were quite right to point out that there was an absolute shambles in the Champions League draw. We've got to talk about the Champions League, Barney. We've got so much to talk about. Um, we ended last week by saying hopefully in a week's time, we'd be discussing four Portuguese clubs in the knockout stages of European football. Now, that week has passed and unfortunately, it wasn't quite the perfect week we'd hoped for. Benfica beat Dynamo Kiev to qualify for the Champions League knockouts. Braga beat Savena Svezda to qualify for the Europa League knockouts. But Porto dropped into the Europa League after losing 3-1 to Atletico Madrid in their final cup game to finish third in the group. Let's start there, Barney. It's a difficult one for me to assess because... I'm in two minds about this. Maybe you can help me make up my mind. I'm in two minds about whether they overachieved or underachieved because on the one hand, uh, they went into that group as the fourth best team on paper and favourites to finish bottom of the group. But on the other hand, having watched all the games and having watched their competitors, it's fair to say that they were the second best team in that group after six games. So to then finish third, I'm having a really hard time trying to decide whether they should be pleased or disappointed. And to be honest, I'm leaning slightly towards disappointed. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you there. But I think um, 
the Atletico last Atletico Madrid game, um, I thought it, you know Atletico Madrid's performance was like almost like Porto in Champions League last season against Juventus. You know, it was like they were the they always seem to be the underdogs inside. They got the little bit of the rub of the green. They got you know they they frustrated Porto, and I I think that's the point, isn't it? I think we we both really felt like um, Porto deserved more more than what they got. I think they were. They had some excellent performances, and and it, they've got, they deserve a huge amount of credit because that, that that was the group of death. There's no doubt about it. And those teams are wealthier than they are. They have vastly better squads um, in in terms of caliber of player. And I think the level that Porto performed at, and the level that those players, individual players as well, like Luis Diaz in particular, just you know, just really showed their their quality. And, I, and I'm I'm a bit gutted for them. I think it is interesting now, Albert, that what the Europa League will be for Porto. We will have to see. That's all to come. But just to look back on their Champions League campaign, I think the thing for me is that, you know, fair enough, in that last game, I don't think they played well. And, and I think they probably should have lost. But they should have beaten Atletico in the first leg, a game that ended 0-0. They should have beaten Milan twice, in my opinion. They obviously did well to win the first leg, but the second leg, they had more than enough chances to win that game. And those two results would have been enough to see them through comfortably second. So, you know, I don't want any Porto fans to think I'm hammering their team. And I'm not saying this to criticise them. I'm saying this because they deserve more. You know, as you said, they played well enough to achieve more than they did. Um, So I think at the end of the day, uh, they should really feel disappointed that they didn't really get over the line and and achieve something. That would have been a great achievement from from a tough group. Benfica, though, as we mentioned, obviously made it to the knockouts. 2-0 they beat Dynamo Kiev. Bayern did them a favour, as they predicted we would, beating Barcelona, uh, and that meant Benfica's second place was secured by one point at the end of the group stage. Again, we know Barcelona aren't the force that they once were, uh, and we know Benfica really only had two tough opponents compared to Porto, who had three. But nonetheless, I think they would have been third favourites to go through this group and did really well to win when they needed to win. And I think getting through this group uh, is an achievement that really shouldn't be overlooked, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, if we're giving credit to the other two Portuguese clubs, I think Benfica deserve a lot. I think some decent performances and like ones that I was pleasantly surprised, in particularly that Barcelona win. I think they were absolutely fantastic in that and I didn't really expect them to be so uh, so good. So, um, I mean, the only thing I would say is that I know Bayern are, are ridiculously good, but uh, I would have liked to have seen a little, slightly better showing from them in, in those games because, you know, that that that's sort of a marker. And, I, and of course it was going to be tough, but I just felt they, you know, they they were miles off in those games but apart from that yeah a, a really good group stage for them well let's look ahead to the next round then because the draw obviously has been made as we alluded to earlier everyone who's listening knows already but it took two attempts to get a final draw after the initial one had to be redone due to what UEFA described as a technical problem with the software of an external service provider or in other words a massive cock-up that only UEFA could achieve but we got there in the end and after a false start, Sporting were drawn, Manchester City, Benfica were drawn, Ajax. Uh, and in the Europa League, as you mentioned, Porto will play Lazio and Braga will play Moldovan side FC Sheriff. Quickly, Barney, what was your reaction to the draw? What stands out for you? And I guess Sporting being drawn against City was the obvious headline as their previous draw events against Juventus looked a lot more favourable for them. I'm excited by that draw. I think... Um... I know a lot of people would have preferred Juventus and I think that perhaps they would have fared a better chance seeing any of the problems Juventus are having this season. But I don't know, part of me's got a sneaky feeling on this one, Albert. I just think it's the sort of, you know, Sporting been excellent. They've really grown into this competition after that really shaky start. And I think um, Amarin and Pep going together is going to be a real, um, a really interesting little battle, seeing what happens. And, and, and also City is shit in the Champions League. 
you know <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no i agree and uh, we had a good chat with one of our twitter followers michael uh, after the draw was made he, um, and he was saying that he fancies sporting as well against manchester city he was saying you know this is maybe a chance for ruben Amarum to announce himself on the world stage against a big club and i agree of course sporting are a top team with top players uh, and when you're a team with quality in your side you've got every chance of upsetting uh, so-called bigger team. Definitely not impossible. The thing I always worry about in these situations, though, is Barney. Over 90 minutes, you've always got a chance. But I always think that that two-leg format uh, favours a team with a bigger squad, more strength in depth. Uh, and I do think it will be very difficult for Sporting. We'll be cheering them on, of course, whatever happens. But if they do make it into the next round, I think that will be an incredible achievement. I think... Um... Benfica Ajax is also going to be an interesting one. Ajax looked obviously good in, in Sporting's group, but I think um, though they've had good performances, they're not miles off you know Benfica's quality, in my opinion, in terms of the, the, the players they have in that team. It's a good opportunity for Benfica there. When they were originally drawn against Real Madrid, um, I was quite worried. And then obviously the redraw got them and got them Ajax. My initial reaction was like you, that that was an improved draw. And I think it is, but... I have reflected on it a bit and, and I am inclined to think that it will almost be equally as tough, perhaps, because, I mean, look at how Ajax played against Sporting over two games in the in the group stage. Nine goals Sporting conceded in two games against Ajax. And I think we can all agree, you know, Sporting probably look even better defensively than Benfica do at the moment. So Benfica will be grateful, I think, that they've got a January transfer window to try and sort out their defence before this game. But look, Ajax look like a proper team, you know. Benfica got good players as well, don't get me wrong. But the thing about Ajax is they just have that kind of organised competence about them. You know, you see a team who just look like every single player knows exactly what they're doing, uh, knows exactly what their job is and is performing at um, their potential. Whereas Benfica just don't quite have that cohesiveness at the moment. There are all these issues around Benfica, even though they have got great players. I think, you know, the thing about Ajax is just that ruthless organised competence that they've got about them, which is a little bit frightening to me. I think Porto should beat Lazio. I think they should get through that. And I, I, I do think Braga Sharif is um, an underrated, difficult tie for Braga. I think that, you know, you saw what they, Sharif did. They got a few big results, didn't they, um, in, in the group stages and uh, of the Champions League. So for me, yeah, but Braga, I think they, they should have they should have won their group. They, 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 uh, I think that's a bit of a disappointment. I think they hmm. the teams in their group, they should have been doing better there. So Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And you mentioned good results that uh, Sheriff had in the Champions League. They don't get much better than beating... Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. So this is not some team that that Braga are going to walk over. Also, Braga will be playing in February and apparently the temperatures will be as low as minus four. So there's plenty to contend with uh, in this tie. It's definitely not easy. I think getting a good result at home will be absolutely key in this fixture and then grinding out on a way leg. Lazio for Porto, Barney, is obviously a, a fascinating one because it's Sergio Consasal's old stomping ground. You know, he's going back to, to where he played quite a considerable number of games as a player. I don't know a lot about them, to be totally honest. I know that they're currently ninth in Syria. Uh, they finished second in their Europa League group behind Galatasaray, just ahead of Marseille. So, you know, to be totally honest, like you, I, I think this should be a game that Porto should win. And I agree with what you were saying earlier, that this should be a competition now. And no Porto fan is going to want me to, to say this. They know exactly what I'm going to say. They're going to hate hearing it. But perhaps being a big fish in a small pond is better than being a small fish in a big pond in terms of the Champions League compared to the Europa League. So look, they need to deal with the fact that they're out now and just commit to this Europa League campaign because this is a competition now where they can really commit to going far in. 
in my opinion, rather than a competition where they're just sort of grateful to be taking part. It'll be interesting to see how Porto treat this January transfer window now, because with this competition coming up, are they going to make the reinforcements? Will they think, oh, well, you know, we've not got the Champions League money, maybe we need to sell? Or will they say, right, well, now we're in a competition we need to take seriously. Time to reinforce that defence that we know they need reinforcing in. Time to make one or two key signings and really push for a good competition. We praised Contesal so much for how he handled the knockout competition that was the Champions League last year. If he can apply that mindset to the Europa League coming up against lesser standard of clubs than they did in the Champions League with the star players that they've got in Luis Diaz, Medi Taremi, players that are ready to shine at Europa League level, this could be a very exciting competition for them if they can get that together. Albert, just quickly before we move on, just as a whole, I just wanted to see what you thought about mainly focusing on the Champions League with, with the big three sort of for me, I, I was quite proud and, and I really felt like all three of these teams really put in a great showing against some you know big clubs in Europe and just really put Portugal on the map for me as a, as, a, as a good footballing country. I totally agree. And I know we spoke about sporting a lot last week because they were the first team to qualify, but it's definitely worth reiterating. What a fantastic campaign they had this year. Benfica as well. We do have a little bit of a laugh at their expense, uh, a bit of a basket case club they can be domestically, but qualifying from the Champions League in a group which contains Barcelona is is a fantastic success. Porto, it wasn't to be. Commiserations to them, commiserations to the fans. The Europa League is a good chance to kick on. And Braga, I think, will be an interesting one, Barney, because we said last year that we were disappointed with how they did in Europa League. We wanted to see more from them. I thought they went out with a bit of a whimper against Roma. So we'll be interested to see whether they can push on and do better than they did last year. But look, four clubs competing in Europe in the knockout stages, it's a great achievement. It's more than what we had last year and definitely something to be proud of, exactly as you said. Well, let's talk about the Primera Liga, Barney, and let's start as we always do with the big three, all three big three clubs won this week. No change at the top of the table, so we might not spend too much time on it. But let's start with the biggest scoreline from the big three this weekend. And Benfica, who beat Famalicao 4-1 away from home. Now, for everyone keeping track, that's now 11 goals conceded in Famalicao's last three games. They've conceded the second most goals in the league with 28 from 14 games. Conversely, Benfica have scored 39 goals in the league so far, the most out of any team. So I guess we should have predicted a big score in this game and it didn't disappoint. Darwin Nunes, uh, a man who seems to always sniff out a chance to boost his his goal numbers against the weaker team. <coughs> Be sad. <coughs> uh, got a hat-trick. Uh, him and Rafa were the stars of this show uh, for me, Barney. What did you make of it? Rafa, first of all, I just... Um... I've, I'm absolutely in love with this guy this season. I think he's, <laughs> he's. I just. I think he's so good for this Benfica side. I think he's such an important player, obviously, in terms of what he's contributing. I mean, a hat trick of assists in this game. He's just absolutely on fire. Like he's really tearing it up. And then, of course, Darwin as well. I think with Darwin, I think it's really interesting. I think Jorge Zeus is management of him, which I think last season we were at some points of the season critical. I thought, um, and then you obviously saw what happened with some of the other young players that they brought in that season with um, Walt Schmidt and Pedrinho as well, just sort of didn't seem to be able to manage those, those young players. And, and as when Jeremstrup came into the team at the beginning of the season, I was like, well, this is it, you know, we'll be lucky to see Darwin again. But the way he's been brought back in this season, there's always, do you see that picture as well at the end of the game where, um, 
you know, Jorge Jesus was say, saying, like, I told you like, you'd get three goals this game. And, you know, that, <laughs> that was that was nice to see. And it just shows, like, you know, it, you know, it's great. I'm so happy for Darwin because he, he's he's from, been phenomenal this season. Like, and, and I, I didn't expect to see that, is, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, we did a whole thing a few weeks about, didn't we, about Benfica giving a chance to players that they'd written off. Darwin, of course, was one of those. And Rafa was one of the others. They were two of the main ones, players that last year seemed like people were ready to write off. And now they're both in great form. As we mentioned, Darwin's now joint top scorer uh, in the Premier League, thanks to some very generous stat padding against the nine men of B-side. Rafa is by far and away top of the assist table with eight for the season. And look, they're both proving that they're top players and top internationals. We laughed when Rafa was called up for the national team squad in the Euros. Well, he's starting to look like one of the best players in the league, Bonnie. Yeah, exactly that. And as we've just been talking about Europe, he's going to be big for them as well in, in that competition too. Uh, but I wanted to move on to Tyre Abs as well. because you know. <laughs> That's a name I haven't heard in this podcast in a long time, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> when I was scrolling through Twitter after this game, I was just beaming. Like, there was so oh. much positive stuff coming out. Like There's a lot of love for him. And I, I, I was so happy. And this is a, brings me on to a more general question about this Benfica team. Is, you know, I saw some fans calling for a change in formation, you know, where they wanted the Torgesus to go back to a, uh, go to a four at the back. And and then if that would allow someone like Tarab to come into that midfield, the forward passes he makes when he came on half time, it just it just gave them that um that drive that I don't I feel like you do lose sometimes when it is just Weigel and Jao Mario in the middle. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think even some commenters on Twitter were saying you know, that Tarap does making forward passes that Jean Mario would uh, turn around and pass back to his defence. Not sure I agree with that, but I think you kind of get the point that that people are making. I thought he was fantastic in the game. And I think he just showed that, and this is not meant to be patronising, but if you just give him a simple job to do, pick the ball up in midfield and move the ball forward. It's very simple, but not a lot of players do that and not a lot of players do it well. And Torab does that unbelievably well. He's got the tenacity to win the ball back. He's got the, the touch to, to keep the ball in midfield in tight places. And he's got the weight of pass and the vision to find key passes, as he did in this game twice. Two key passes, one a direct assist, one what I believe the young people these days are calling a pre-assist uh, key pass before the second goal. And, and he really contributed to the game and showed that, as I said, if you just give him... Uh, the role that he's kind of made to do right now, give him something simple to do. Maybe, he, you know, fair enough, maybe he needs protection in the midfield. Maybe it's fair to say that he wasn't playing against the toughest opponent. But I think what he's showing is that he's got important attributes that will benefit any team and definitely can benefit from free credits level. I think we need to see a bit more variation from Jorge Jesus. Like I was mentioning, that I, they need to go for the back. I know playing with the wing-backs, I think, brings out the best in Grimaldo. Great to see Diogo Gonzalez back in this game. Uh, I think he, he's at his best at, in the right wing-back position as well. But Tarab, I think, in a three-man midfield, brings out the best of them. We know Rafa can play on the wing when they've got Everton, who's a, he's a natural winger. Obviously, Darwin Nunes is, is more than capable of playing by himself up top. It would just work. And, you know, he can just unlock a defence, Albert, can't he, Tyler? I love it. it. Just, I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that cliche was coming. <laughs> no, he did very well, and I think he deserves um, he deserves his plaudits. It's all about family, Cal Barney. Have you got anything to add on them that we didn't say last week because it was the same story uh, for the third game in the row now? Leaking goals left, right and centre. I read out their defensive stats earlier. They've got a massive, massive game coming up now for them and for Ivo Vieira against Estoril this weekend because you sense that if they don't get a result there or at the very least show signs of improvement, 
then it, it will likely be Kearns for either Vieira or Family Cow. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. And, and I've been really surprised at how my um, opinion of him has has changed over the over over the season. I was a I was I was a real fan of him, but I feel like they look like a, a team with no real direction or plan. I think defensively they're so weak. I thought he had it right at, at one stage in the season with when he settled on his back four and you know, Pepe and Pickle playing ahead. I like that as as the double pivot up in front of that back four. But then, you know, that seems to have all disappeared and I, 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 the organisation just seems to be gone. It's a really interesting thing, hasn't it? Because I think the players have got a lot of responsibility to take as well. I think, you know, there's some been some real poor performances from individuals and and sort of as as a team, particularly at the, at the back. And I, it's just, um, it's, a, it's a real shame and, uh, and I am worried for them. I like Eva. I think, I think he's a good manager. I don't think he's a bad manager at all, but something's going wrong. And maybe maybe the team has stopped playing for him. Maybe they've stopped buying into his ideas or maybe he just doesn't trust his players. Sometimes that can seep into the mindset of the players if they don't feel trusted by the manager. We don't know what's going on. But what we do know is that performances have been so far below par, probably for the whole of the season. There were one or two moments where, like you said, we thought they were getting it together. They've had times where they've shown that they have got the right players for the job. But yeah, it's just not been consistent enough and they've been massively, massively underachieving so far this season. Let's move on, Barney. Let's talk about Porto versus Braga. And this was probably the most eye-catching game ahead of the weekend. Whenever Braga play one of the big three, you feel like there's a chance for an upset. And when they play against Porto, there's that little bit of locality that kind of makes it feel like a bit of a tasty fixture. There was no upset this time, though. It was ended 1-0 to Porto. Luis Diaz worked his magic again, making the difference with a sublime chipped finish. And in a mildly uneventful game, I thought it was a, a moment of magic that just made the difference. I love the assist from Uribe. I think he was so good in this game. And I think it's easy to gloss over what a quality player he is sometimes. Obviously, they've got some really exciting midfielders. But yeah, he, he absolutely stood out for me in this game. Yeah, it was tight, I thought. And, and I think um, Porto, you know, if you look back to previous results, I mean, they've always struggled against Braga. That um I think they drew and lost against them in the cup last season. And I think last winter they drew as well. So this was always going to be a tough game. An interesting point for me, Taremi dropped slash rested. Um, you know, he's obviously had a bit of a barren spell, you know, hasn't hasn't been on the score sheet that often. But I, I liked how, it, you know, it gave Fatina the, op- uh, the opportunity to play a slightly more forward in that midfield. And I think he just once again showed his, the, the boy's absolutely kidding. It? I hope Taremi wasn't dropped. I don't think I would have dropped him, even if he's not been scoring. I think, you know, he, he's the top striker at that club. And, you know, maybe maybe Constantine's just trying to send him a message to let him know that, you know, nobody is indispensable. But yeah, no, I agree with your assessment, really. I think Porto pretty much uh, controlled the game. Uh, I don't think they really looked troubled. You know, you look at some of the stats, Barney. Porto had 19 shots compared to Braga had seven. Porto had four shots on target compared to Braga had one. 31 actions in the opposition area compared to 10 for Braga and it was 2.4 expected goals compared to 0.6 for Braga. Um, I'm basically just reading those stats off anyone who didn't watch the game because it really does give the impression of, of the fact that Porto dominated the game and weren't particularly troubled. It's a conversation we have a lot about Braga putting up a good fight against top three clubs. Are they ever going to crack that top three in the next few years? They've done it before, of course. They they beat Benfica in the cup final last year, but they didn't do it in this game. And I think, uh, yeah, for me, not a difficult game for Porto at all. Well, it sometimes takes a bit of luck, Albert, as well. And then they obviously, I think they had 
they hit the post in the early on, and that that could have really turned changed things for them. Could have been a different game. I think you know what seeing Porto come from behind would have been a, an interesting one to see how they deal with that. The thing with Braga for me is that I was looking at that midfield. And I feel like Mizrati hasn't been at it this season. I haven't, you know, he hasn't. Last season we were wax lyrical about him. He was, you know, he was majestic, and this season I feel like it's just not there. And then you look at, you know, they obviously brought Shaquino for, um, on loan from um, Benfica. He came on in this game but didn't start. He has, you know, I feel like that midfield is perhaps their weakest spot at the moment because the way they play, they've got great attacking wing backs. They've got a really exciting front three of whatever combination of players you, you play. And yeah, it's just that midfield seems to be lacking and, uh, and uh, I'm not sure what the, what the answer is. Well, you say midfield is possibly their weakest position I don't think it's weaker than the defence which I think is particularly weak um, but I do agree that Masrati's not really playing at the same level that we expected from him uh, I think up front they look pretty decent they have their issues up with a striker we know what we hope what Patinia will be you know we know we hope Mario Gonzalez will improve but I think Braga didn't improve in the summer that's the thing we hoped that the fact that they kept players like Al Masrati and Ricardo Horta would be would be important. And don't get me wrong, Ricardo Horta has been unbelievable for Braga this season, possibly even better than he was last year. But they haven't improved on, on last season. In fact, I think in some areas they've possibly slightly uh, regressed. When I saw the the team sheet come out for this hour, I was I was a bit like eh, like just because <laughs> you know uh, you mentioned um, Vitinha, the young striker who's on a, a hell of a run of form. Why wasn't he starting? He came on in this game. Um, I saw Medeiros was on the bench. I don't know what happened there. He didn't come on and maybe perhaps he had a knock or something. And then, you know, the, the wing-backs, I've, I've loved watching Kuto play on the right. Uh, Fabiano did okay at the beginning of the season for me, but I think Kuto going forward is that, mm. you know, he could have tested Vendor a bit more. I think um, it's like you said, they they haven't really improved that squad in the summer. And you know, that, that's the reason I was so... Uh, blase about that starting 11 when I saw the team she's come up. Well, maybe some work to be done in the January transfer market. Let's finally talk about Sporting and Barney. They won 2-0 against Boa Vista in the Alvalade. Goals from Sarabia and Nuno Santos enough to secure a comfortable victory. No Polinho in this game after his Champions League success due to COVID, but Coates was back and Sarabia filled in up front. He got the first goal of the game uh, and it was very much a case of job done Two goals, clean sheet, three points. Yeah, and I really like seeing this combination of uh, attackers, you know, without Paulinho in the team. You know, great to see um, Nuno Santos uh, back in the forward line again, having played left wing back a few times recently. And, you know, he's good to see him on the score sheet. He's um, second highest goal scorer for them in the se- uh, this season now. Did you, did you see that um, Pedro Gonzalez miss at the end of the game? I, I think oh. I, I, I wrote that down just because it doesn't seem to be as lethal in front of goal this season. But I'm not sure how much of a negative that is because I think one thing that I'm really seeing him display more than I did last season is is passing. I think his passing in this game was incredible. Like the the balls and the you know how people like drool over Kevin De Bruyne's passing and assists sometimes how it's like literally threading a uh, putting a thread through a needle. It's like I think Gonzalez is starting to show some of that as for me as well. He's 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 really got um making some big chances for them. Yeah, and I thought his link up with Sarabia was really good as well. I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing Sarabia playing up front. You know, it's nice to see that versatility from him playing through the middle, especially when we know of the issues that Sporting have got up front. Like you, I thought that miss from Gonzalez was unbelievable. You know, I think a lot of people from Twitter joking about the fact that this guy doesn't enjoy scoring 
easy goals. You know, maybe if Sporting had been losing or drawing, they would have been uh, had a bit of an issue. But they laughed it off in the end, and, and as I mentioned before, it was a it was a pretty comfortable victory. I've not really got anything to say about Boa Vista, Barney. I think they pretty much failed to impose themselves on the game. I thought they failed to cause Sporting any problems whatsoever. Um, I believe it was Petit's first game in charge. If so, um, no no sign of a real change in attitude from the players. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but the honest truth is that there was very little of merit at all from Boa Vista in this game, unfortunately. Yeah, and you sort of expect to see a little bit of a, a new manager bounce, don't you, from from the players? And, um, yeah, I agree with you. I didn't really see that. Um, the only thing I I had, Kenji Gori should have scored that when he was through at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really should have. I was disappointed. I think he's a bit of a poor decision there, the way he tried to finish that opportunity. Cortellina's podcast last week talked uh, really well about Petit and what we can expect potentially from his, his time at, um, managing Boa Vista. You know, some people think, you know, He's obviously got a connection with the club and tipping him for success. We'll have to see. I've said it before about that Bear versus squad. I think that there's some gems, but I think it's going to be a very, a very tough ask to um, get them performing at a, a particularly good level. I wanted to, I was going to go back to Sporting Albert just quickly, but um, just wanted to mention Nalzinho at left wing back. Great to see him getting his debut in the league. He looks like an interesting player. I don't know what, don't know what you made of his performance. I think he's not shy, is he? He will, he will take a player or two on. I, I really like that in a fullback, but I think um, he did get caught out a couple of times when, when he was making a run. Good for a young player to be playing with confidence, but as you say, looks like quite a raw talent. But um, yeah, another another young player that Ruben Amarim has brought through, so that's very very positive for for Sporting. Uh, well, look, let's move on, Barney. Let's talk about a couple of other games from up and down the table. Every week, it seems like there's one standout result, uh, and I think this week's standout result was clearly. Vittoria 5, Tondela 2. A game in which the home side went 2-0 down before scoring five goals to secure a dramatic victory. Four of the game's seven goals were penalties, three of which were Vittoria, all three taken by different players. I'm not sure I've seen that uh, in a game before. But despite all that, Barney, there was one clear standout performer in this game. And I don't think our listeners will be surprised to hear that it was Marcus Edwards who got himself two goals and let's face it, it could have been more for himself. Fantastic game for Marcus. Looks easily the best player on the pitch. Caused all sorts of problems for the Tondela defence. Played with positivity and confidence throughout the game. Even with his team 2-0 down, he was the bright spark that kept him in the game. And for me, was easily man of the match. We've obviously always been a fan of, of Marcus ever, ever since we started this podcast. But for me, Albert, this was the, the the first time I've ever seen him in a game where I thought this guy is on a completely another level compared to his teammates. He just absolutely looked like he was head and shoulders above everyone on that pitch in terms of quality. He was absolutely running the show. I did see a couple of times a little bit of frustration come out when when players went. I think of that. I think he set up a stupid and the stupid just didn't didn't connect properly. And it, I saw that a little bit of frustration, but that's good. You want to see that because he he obviously wants his team to to be doing better than they were. It's so exciting, isn't it? Because we we both know that this was he had this in his locker and the consistency he's playing with at the moment. The way that Peppers brought that out of him is 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 an absolute dream. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be bored of us talking about Marcus Evers every week. We may well be biased, you know, as English guys following the league, rooting for the English player. But you cannot say it's not justified at this point. In the 2019-20 season, you know, Marcus's breakthrough season in Portugal, he got seven goals and nine assists in 26 games. This year, he's already on six goals with two assists after half the amount of games 
Uh, he will be looking to really smash his record from that great season, that season when his market value was really at its highest, when the attention on him was probably the most it's ever been. And he's definitely, in my opinion, on course to have uh, the best season of his career if he continues on the trajectory that he's on. I also thought Stupin was uh, was really good in this game as well. But he's obviously been, been dropped. We've seen Dorato a few times recently. And, uh, you know, that, that looked like it fired him up. I think that was, you know, that's good man management again from Pepper. Albert, you, you, you talked about different penalty takers. I, I was calling for that. You know, I, I'm a firm, firm believer in that no player should take more than one penalty in a game. And it was it was because it was um, Gerard Pedro for Tondea who, who got a hat-trick of penalties a few weeks ago. And, that, that, you know, remember me saying, like, no one should be taking more than one. I was so, you know, Pepper's a man after my own heart. He, he, he knows what's up. <laughs> He's been listening to the show. <laughs> well, in the spirit of, of other Victoria players who did well, one player that I wanted to praise, Barney, was Ricardo Koreshma, who came on, uh, and was very effective, I thought, after I was quite harsh on him a couple of weeks back. He came on on the left-hand side and did well to set up a couple of chances. And also Ruben Lemeras, another player who's not really had the minutes they probably would have hoped, came on, I thought works very hard uh, and got a very good goal. So I, I was really pleased for those two players uh, to come on and do well. But as you say, I think it's going to be so important if Vittoria are going to have a successful season to make sure everyone is fit and firing. Everyone is on good form. Those two strikers are still for me where I, I worry about because we saw both of them miss good chances that were created for them in, the, in this game. Um, a stupid man got his goal. Maybe he just needs to stick it on his head. <laughs> Maybe he only scores headers. But um, that was, that's the only position that I would really worry about other uh, than defence. I wanted to read you a tweet that I saw on Twitter, Barney, because we talk about our own perspectives all the time. Uh, and I was really interested to see this perspective from a Victoria fan on Twitter, not talking to us, but just replying to the actual Victoria team on Twitter. Um, he says, attack and midfield are without criticism but the defence, this was maybe one of the worst games ever that I've seen on part of the centre-backs. Congratulations to Joao Ferreira, who was impeccable almost the whole game. We need to correct some errors from this game for the next game, because if we make them again, it will be us, that's the team, conceding five goals. I'm not sure what you make of that, but I think that's quite a fair assessment, actually, that going forward, when they click, they really click and they can cause any team problems. But at the back... They're very, very shaky. And they themselves, as this person said, look like they could be a team to concede five goals. Because they went down to two goals quite quickly against Tondeo, weren't they? And they were both... I mean, obviously one was a penalty, but there was there was stopping defending for the second. Borokovic feels him a bit more confidence than, than the other centre-backs they have in their books. I think perhaps seeing him and Amaro together might be a, a better combination. But, you know, here we are again talking about combinations of centre-backs for Victoria. So talking, you know, it is worrying. Because, I, by the way, I thought this was their... I, I really like this midfield trio of Handel, Almeida and Thiago Silva. And obviously we know that that front three of uh, Edwards, Estupin and Rochino is, is probably their strongest as well. If you've got that working and clicking, you know, maybe you can afford to concede two or three goals. <laughs> <laughs> Mauricio sorry ball just went every game five three. <laughs> um, no, it, it is a worry, of course, and I think um, completely trust Pepper to sort of understand that. Maybe not worry about it too much because if you start trying to, if you start taking away the attacking intent of those midfielders to focus on protecting that defence, then you know you you might lose something. So yeah, uh, it was a great game to watch though. That's, it, was, know, it and, was, and that was because of those goals at both ends. Definitely better than the Dry Enrican days when we were just dreading watching Victoria. <laughs> Pepper's bringing the good times back to uh, Gimaraes. Uh, well, let's do our last game, Barney, uh, and let's talk about Maritimo 4, 
Santa Clara won. Uh, and Vasco Siabra's great start to life at Maritimo continues. It was obviously an emphatic victory for them. Goals from Joel Tego, Henrique, Mateus Costa and Gaetan secured the victory uh, after Santa Clara had initially gone ahead after just 20 seconds. And this game was really a story of two managers on very different trajectories. Vasco Siabra, a very impressive young manager, ready to take an ambitious Maritimo side forward. And Nuno Campos, who for all intents and purposes, seems like a really lovely guy and commits to doing a good, good job, but was ultimately sacked as a result of this performance after just nine games in charge. Uh, and his team really looked like a defeated team, not playing with any confidence and sadly not really playing for their manager anymore. It just makes his appointment even very confusing to me. I think there's obviously so much going on behind the scenes at Santa Clara. You know, they seem like a, a club really in a mess, let's be honest. And so this was always going to be tough for him. I mean, to assess his timeline, I do, for me, I obviously haven't watched every, every minute that he's, he's been in charge of, but I do feel like nothing really changed under him. Uh, how much that's down to, you know, the lack of options that he has in that squad and how much that's down to him, I don't know. It seems a... It seems a shame instinctively that they don't give him a, they didn't give him a transfer window. Although what they will have been able to do in the transfer window is another thing. I think you know in terms of their financial problems, but that's the thing for me. It just makes the appointment all the more bizarre. You, you give the job to someone who's a more experienced manager who can get out galvanize a squad who you can trust and get them out of the situation, or you're going to give it to Nuno Campos and you're going to let him change things, bring in some players that fit into the plans. You know, go with the project because he was a he was a bit of a gamble and he was someone you're going to see what he can do. And I, they just really didn't give that to him. It's um, a bit of a shame, and I feel like a, a just another sign of the the, the mess at Santa Clara. And whenever a manager gets sacked so quickly. Like this, I always think back to something that um, the Leighton Orient owner said in a kind of fan forum thing that that he did, which was that if you sack a manager after 90 games, it's the manager's fault. If you sack a manager after nine games, it's your fault for getting the wrong manager in. And I think that's probably uh, what we're seeing here. I totally agree. He didn't have a transfer window to work with. He was working with a team which none of those players were really his players. Some good players there, of course. And we have to be fair and say maybe he should have been getting the bet better out of some of those players but then the players also have to look at themselves I've criticised the board there and if I'm playing devil's advocate you could say that you know on the one hand sacking a manager after nine games is a bad sign on the other hand you could say well at least they're trying to arrest the situation before it's too late the fact is and I, and I said this on Twitter uh, after the news came out this is just another chapter in a really woeful season for Santa Clara and it is such a shame to see them suffering so badly after being so promising last year. They are in complete freefall at the moment with no sign of turning the tide anytime soon. It's very, very worrying. And I think they will do very, very well not to get relegated this season. One player for me that seems to be coming into form under uh, Nuno Campos is, was Kryzan, playing him in a wider position rather than through the middle. It seems to be working. He obviously got this... Well, it didn't, they didn't credit him with a goal in the beginning of this game. It went down as an own goal, but, you know, and two yeah. goals in the last one. This goes back to the sort of point I was making earlier, but, you know, it, that, that squad's too thin. The, the, yes, there are a couple of quality players, but, you know, the, there's, there wasn't enough quality from there. Let's be fair to this result. I mean, Rita had four shots on target, four goals. You know, it's, it was a soft pen for the first one. You know, the second goal was avoidable. You know, the, the scoreline did sort of... I felt, you know, seemed more harsh than the reality of this game. But I don't want to take anything away from Marisa. I thought, you know, they're, they're, they're looking good as well on the Siabra. Yeah, 
they look the complete opposite of Santa Clara. They look like a team on the up. They look like a team playing with confidence. They're now ninth in the table. Um, the table seems to already have kind of split into two halves. There's six points between eighth and ninth. Marita are top of that bottom half, if you if you follow what I'm saying. And and you know, and they will be looking to close the gap on eighth place. And I have been impressed. I predicted good things when Seabra came in. You predicted good things under their new president, and it does seem to be going uh to plan as things stand. Just a final thought on Santa Clara from me, Barney. We're recording this on the 14th of December. There's a massive two weeks coming up for them because they've got to now make sure they get the right manager in and make sure they know what they're doing going into this January transfer window. Because if they mess this up, they arguably messed it up getting in the wrong manager uh, in September or October or whenever it was. If they mess this up now and they mess up the January transfer window, they don't get another chance to fix the season. So a massive couple of weeks coming in. We'll have to see what manager comes in. I know they've been linked to Israel Henriquez, and I think when you're linked to with, uh, with that man, you know things are bad. I think with the transfer window, but I think there's it's going to be a question of players going out first before others come in, and 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 you know we know what players we're, we're likely to see move on there. And yeah, that that will make things even harder. Can we go back to chatting positive about Marito? Because I, I love <laughs> of course, because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> I, I just I just yeah I agree, man. I think they're looking so good, and I love. I think with Seattle, they look a lot more dynamic. I think. The wingers look look to be getting forward quicker. I think Henrique, the Brazilian winger, you know, they signed from uh, SC Sofia in the summer. He got the second goal in this game. You know, Seabra's brought him into this team. I, mm. I I hadn't really heard of this guy. I didn't know what to expect, but he, you know, he, he's a great Beltrame as well. Um, yeah, has been given an opportunity on the Cerebra. Obviously, got that amazing free kick the other week. You know, this guy's from Juventus. I think that quality is starting to show. It's just what's really exciting about it is that, you know, Siabra's using his squad. He's fight, he's unearthing players that haven't been trusted in Spirito a team before. And, and and it's sort of almost giving them a face of, haven't it? It's, it's, a, it's a new Marito. said it before, Barney. I've said it before. There is so much potential at that club. Uh, and I think it's really exciting that if they've got this combination of president and manager who are committed to improving things at Maritimo and doing things in the right way could be very, very exciting times in Madeira. They're ones who could have a really exciting transfer window as well. You know, if, if they're deciding to shake things up a bit and, and, and really lift that squad. And plus, you know, I know we always say, I've, obviously I say, talk about Jadis every time he's all at Maritimo, but he's got to come back from injury. Jadis under Siabra, that, that's, you know, that's got to be tasty. We've got to see him shine at some point this season. Well, we'll leave it on that positive note this week and as always we'll round off the show by giving you some game of the week recommendations for this weekend that we think you should be checking out in the Primera Liga and I'll let you kick off this one Barney what game do you recommend people watch this weekend it's got to be a Saturday night Gil Vicente Sporting 8.30 lovely I think that's possibly the standout fixture of the weekend although as you said there's some tasty fixtures on Friday night uh, if you want to see some goals, Vittoria versus Santa Clara could be a very interesting to watch on 7 o'clock on Friday night. But I think my game of the week, Barney, uh, I think it's probably slightly slightly less exciting than the game you mentioned, but still worth noting, Sunday at 5 o'clock, Benfica at home to Marito. And we've just gone on about how positive we think Marito have been. It's been a great start for Vasco Siabra, but he's not really been tested. So that will be a very interesting test against Benfica. At the very least, I think we will see quite a few goals uh, in that game well let's leave it there for this week thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed the show you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if that's your podcast provider or you could share the podcast with a friend 
and that you think might enjoy it. If you want to get in contact, we're on Twitter at Football, and we always love having a chat with anyone who gets involved uh, in the conversation. But I think that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, see you next week.